0: You know, whenever I'm preparing worship services and sermons, I'm, I'm actually quite alert to the complexities that are related to who will be participating and listening, namely people like you. I try to keep in mind the names and faces of people who are members and friends of Christ Church, then I also am alert to the fact that there will be many people who I won't know. And I'm aware that whether known to me or not, I can't know a whole lot about your personal history, your knowledge about Christianity, your point of view, your perspective, your spiritual practices that are familiar to you. This is especially important to remember in a city like New York because of its incredible diversity, right? I can't take anything for granted about any participant who shows up on a Sunday morning. I can't know the various reasons why people have come and what experiences they brought with them. I learned this lesson in my first year here exemplified by the very first class of new members I welcomed in 1988. That first class consisted of seven people. They were individuals who had grown up, at least nominally, Hindu, Jewish, Atheist, Buddhist, Catholic, Methodist, and nothing. That was my very first class of new members. And it caused me to deeply wonder what I had been preaching about in the preceding months because at the time I was unaware that I would be speaking to a lot of people who had little knowledge or experience of Christianity per se. And then we were sitting in our splendid jewel box sanctuary with images and symbols that I realized were unfamiliar to a lot of people who walk through the doors. Frankly, they might have even been incomprehensible. I think the way it works is that a space like ours evokes a sense of spiritual transcendence that's larger than the specific references to the Christian tradition. I think that's how it works. It's kind of like if you've ever been to the Taj Mahal, for instance. You walk in and you have a sense of spiritual transcendence. I think that's why someone who grew up Hindu or Buddhist or atheist, not to mention Catholic or nothing, could feel somehow at home, which is what they all reported. They all said, this feels like home to us. Not home in the specific of the visual imagery per se, but but home in the sense of at the heart of things. Maybe at the heart of God, although they probably wouldn't have used that language at the time. Loving God above all things and their neighbors as themselves made sense, and they felt at home. They felt at home in our space. Of course, even those who have been steeped in church life since childhood cover a vast geography, don't they? A vast territory. There are no two Christianities exactly alike. If I were to pick at random two people out of today's service, you wouldn't match up identically in your stated beliefs, proclivities, and points of view about stuff. Interesting that it's the Methodists who initially find our sanctuary the most baffling. I can't tell you how many (laughs) Methodists have asked me, has this always been a Methodist church? And the answer is yes, it has been. It has always been a Methodist church. But obviously not in a traditionally Methodist tribalist sense, right? In fact, there was a very self-conscious attempt to create a space in which a great variety of persons would feel at home. And I guess the evidence suggests that the Founders succeeded. After nearly dying out some decades ago, this congregation was resuscitated from among a very diverse population of seekers and believers from a geography as wide as the nation and as broad as the world. I'm mentioning this today for two reasons. First, even with a story as seemingly well anchored in American cultural lore, as the wise men visiting the manger of Bethlehem. We cannot assume that everyone present really knows what we're talking about. I can't assume that. A Hindu showing up for the first time brings no preconceived ideas or expectations about what she's hearing. Now, on the other hand, a 60-year-old who grew up in South Carolina, having experienced as many years of Christmas pageants, including those in which he costumed as every character in the drama Save Mary, that guy comes with a very full reservoir of thoughts and feelings, points of view and expectations and memories. And these are likely freighted with a whole lot of idiosyncratic sentimentality as well, layered on top of all of that. Especially as it's now his grandchildren's turn to wear a robe and carry a staff. Here's the second reason I'm reflecting on this today. The story of the wise men, or the kings, or the magi is a story about Christ church. And here's my meaning. Whether you are newly arrived to considering this faith or a seventh decade cradle Christian, we are all mashed up here for some reason, decided to show up at the manger in Bethlehem. Believer, seeker, Third party once removed, unlucky relative, confirmed but curious atheist. In coming today, we've accompanied the so-called wise men from the east, wherever that is, to see the thing that has taken place. That's how the story is told, after all. The shepherds in Luke's gospel put it that way. They need to go to see the thing that has taken place, they heard the angels proclaim. But you know, these so-called wise men really have no business in Bethlehem. They're exotic strangers, aren't they? Likely from the region we now call Iran. Persians astrologers and scholars, men interested in esoteric spiritual pursuits, representing an alien religion. They are non-Jews and yet, they are intrigued with Jewish prophecy. And here's a very compelling aspect of this story. These foreigners are more in tune with the goings on in Bethlehem than the learned and politically connected people in Jerusalem. The outsiders actually have a beat on the truth. The insiders cannot see. As the story is told, the Magi's honest seeking has more integrity than the religious political machinations of King Herod and all of King David's descendants whose pedigree Jesus is reportedly to share, no wonder everyone in Jerusalem is worried, especially Herod. This child is already shaking up. The established religious and political protocols, even exotic strangers, find a very warm welcome in his company. Now, if you follow my logic here, you, you can sense the problem we have we practice a religious tradition whose founder broke down human religious barriers and categories. It isn't as if the wise men came, did their thing and left the manger Christian in a way that we would recognize. They likely left as they came, returning to their families and communities of care wiser than when they had first set out having entered a cattle shed of transcendent glory, a space they hadn't expected yet, strangely feeling like home. And again, as the story is told, the Magi saw a truth that was larger than what the majority of Jews at the time could comprehend. Like most people everywhere, they were captive of rigid structures of thought and expectation. We know how that happens, right? We know how that happens. How matters of power and control over what people think and believe can obscure the truth that otherwise stands completely naked to the eye. That's how even Christians, followers of the child who will grow up to say that, love of God and neighbor, are the sine qua non of human aspiration how Christians can hardly wait to divide the human race into those that belong and those that don't and those who are more deserving of good stuff than those who aren't, those who are beloved of God and those who have been locked out. Oh my, even Christians fall prey to that tendency, right? Our history is littered with that. We should own it. It does not change the essential message that we bear, however, the life-transforming message that we bear. This was a tough lesson for the early followers of Jesus who first were all Jewish. The shocking idea that impure Gentiles were, from God's perspective, on equal footing with them, This is Paul's point in the reading you just heard read from Ephesians. His ministry, he writes, is for the sake of the Gentiles, people just like the Persian foreigners. In Jesus, this mystery has now been revealed that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, writes Paul, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. You see, in our story, the magi, the so-called wise men, unveil this mystery that we're talking about and disclose the nature of God's kingdom announced in Jesus. This is an early epiphany of the reality that Jesus is for all people everywhere. No one excluded. They remind us that it cannot be limited to any singular people. The new king, Jesus, abolishes not only the barriers of nation, race, and ethnicity, he also transcends the boundaries of gender and religion and economics and social stratification. For in Christ, again, as Paul will write, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are one in Christ Jesus. The Magi were only the very tip of the iceberg, as it were. And that iceberg has rumbled down through the ages, forward in time, not nearly yet finished with its galvanizing work, breaking down all the human-made barriers of every sort. And when we're at our clearest, we recognize that iceberg for what it is. The heart of the gospel of Jesus. Which is the very same thing as the heart of God. The heart of God. You don't have to look around very far today to see that this lesson is a daunting challenge, remains a daunting challenge. This lesson lies at the heart of a conflict that's dividing our church. The thing to remember is that we're an epiphany church where all comers are welcome. 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 One final thought. Be on the lookout for anyone speaking to and on behalf of a certain segment of the Christian church who says, and I quote, God is on our side. Be on the lookout, on the alert. Those are dangerous words in a time of astonishing adversity within our own culture. They try to grab hold of all of those dark tribalistic tendencies that reside in every last one of us, and don't for a moment think it doesn't reside in you. It does. We all want to name and claim our tribe, whoever it is, whatever it is, whatever it's about. And we're here to celebrate the epiphany, to break down that tendency, to expose it for what it is, and to reclaim the astonishing good news that God intends new life for everyone, and that everyone is welcome, no one excluded. Extend the arms, extend the embrace of God, as best you can. That's our agenda. That's the agenda of Christ church as we move into 2020. So glad to be sharing that with all of you, even though you are different beyond belief. <laughs>